Almost 90% of women have cellulite. And guess what? It's not their fault. We don't choose cellulite, but we can choose a different way to treat it. Meet Quo, Collagenase Clostridium Histolyticum, AAES, the first and only FDA-approved prescription injectable for moderate to severe cellulite in the buttocks of adult women. This non-surgical treatment is injected by an aesthetic specialist in 10 minutes or less. Individual results may vary. Do not receive if you are allergic to any collagenase or ingredients in Quo or have an infection at the treatment site. May cause serious side effects, allergic reactions, including anaphylaxis and injection site bruising. Seek medical help right away for any signs of allergic hypersensitivity. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions, if you have a bleeding condition, or take medicine that prevents clotting. Most common side effects include bruising, pain, hardness, itching, redness, discoloration, swelling, and warmth at the injection site. Ask your doctor about all possible side effects and for product information. If you're ready to get to the bottom of your cellulite, learn more and find a specialist at Quo.com. Hey there, animation fans, and welcome once again to the AFA podcast, the official podcast for animation for adults.com. My name is Rachel, and joining me today is my good friend Dan. Hi. Hi. <laughs> good to have you back on the show. It's good to be back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so today we're taking a bit of a break. We were instead of going back and forth, we wanted to, uh, today's episode to be since we've had a couple of different things, but I realized there was a film that had recently had an anniversary back in February, uh, its 10th anniversary that we had been meaning to actually go back and talk about since we've talked about a lot of stop motion films on this podcast, but not as many as I think we probably, you know, we've had in the past, or at least back when we had a bunch of them coming out. I know we talked about, you know, the little prince we've talked about uh nightmare before christmas as part of our christmas special last year so we wanted to go ahead and because of this was a uh, 10th year anniversary we wanted to talk about Leica's very first animated feature film Coraline um that had its feb- it's I believe it was back in february it had its 10th anniversary um but yeah the Coraline was basically the film that put now very now famous uh animation studio or stop motion animation studio Leica on the map. This was their very first release. It's based off of a, a novel or book written by Neil Gaiman, which to my understanding, it, I think um, the film director, Henry Selleck, who uh, people I know from the night before Christmas, uh, basically approached Neil Gaiman when he was finishing writing the book and said, hey, I'd love to do a film adaptation. And Neil Gaiman was like, yeah, sure, solid. Um, let's, let's do that. And that's how this project developed. Though obviously there had to be some changes considering the fact that uh, most adaptations of books don't follow the films exactly. But as long as they still get the story well, you know, well and down, they still are, can be very enjoyable. And there were a few changes made. I know a character that appears in the film, uh, Wybie, yeah. uh, was definitely a movie-only character. But... Personally speaking, at least in my opinion, I, I like the fact that they had those differences so that way the movie could have a bit of its own identity. It's still an adaptation, but still you can separate it. You can enjoy the book as well as the film individually. But yeah, so um, it was came out back in 2009. I recall 
my own experience will save for our first viewings. It's normally when we do our, our film talks, if you are familiar with them, as we kind of start how we were introduced to the films in general, like basically, you know, going about our life and then coming across the film in whatever way we, we did and how, what our first impressions of for the film. So, and it's been quite a bit since we've both rewatched it since. And I don't think, I think we were confirming this off the air, Dan, you and I have not seen this film since probably 2009, correct? I think I, yeah, maybe 2010. I definitely haven't seen it since I got the DVD. Mm-hmm. The DVD that came with like uh, uh, red and green, hmm. uh, like crappy 3D. Oh, okay. That, that kind of 3D. Yeah, like not the kind of, you know, real D 3D that it was, that I saw it in. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I forgot this is one of the films, like, one of those films that was in that kind of, like, era where you could just basically go see, they were they were making sure every single film could be seen in 3D. Yeah, but I do remember it was, like, it was particularly, it felt like it was one of the first movies of that wave where people sort of went, or at least, like, people, you know, that I listened to, <laughs> um, kind of, <laughs> went, like, no, but this time it's like it's worth it. Yeah, I was, particularly for this film, it, it the 3D actually is really really beneficial. Yeah, and it's it was kind of like it seemed like the first time that um, it felt like necessary, and it wasn't about um, the fun type of 3D as I think of it, where you know you have things flying at you like. Um, I quite like that kind of 3D, actually, the gimmicky one. Okay. But it was all, it was, the talk around the movie was all about, like, uh, going inside the world, like, making the screen look like a window box. Mm-hmm. You know, that you were looking through. Okay. There was lots of talk about that, I remember, when this movie came out. And, yeah, I mean, I remember enjoying it in 3D, definitely. So did you hear about it? Was it one of those things that you heard about, like saw trailers for when it was it, uh, before its re- initial release and then just you either went to see it in theaters or did you, uh, was it more after it was released to uh, digital or video that you were able to sit down and watch it for the first uh, time? Out, February 6, uh, I'm just trying to figure something out in my brain. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. Um, I was trying to figure out where I was when this came out because I was either at animation school mm-hmm. or I was at art school, like um, doing like a general kind of foundation course. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I saw this at animation school. Um, sorry, I'm just checking like, because I think it had like a different release date in the UK. Oh, gotcha. The USA. Yeah, it's fair. February in the US. Yeah. Um. And I'm pretty sure it came out in February in the UK as well, but I'm just trying to check. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about your experience watching it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, um, yeah. Um, this Since this came out in 2009, I was currently in my sophomore year of uh, college, basically my second, my just my second year going through my undergrad. Right. And, um, you know, I was just going through day-to-day life and, you know, trying to survive classes and get good enough grades to graduate. Um, but I had made, uh, 
close-knit circle of friends who we would always like play games, you know, play video games, hang out, you know, get meals together, study together, edit each other's papers, that kind of thing. And normally one of my good friends, um, she's not very much of a film person. So normally always be like, Hey, we should go watch a film. And and like, I really like this one. And she's like, I'm sorry. I I can't really watch movies because I'm one of those people who I need to have something going on in my hands. I can't really sit still and watch something. And and that basically almost every single opportunity for us to go see a film would normally be shot down because of the fact that she would be able to participate. But then something strange and miraculous happened one day. Um, Around the time that this film was being announced and there was going to be a limited screening at our college, she comes to me and said, hey, there's this film based on a book I read that's coming out. They're actually showing it in theaters. Do you want to go see it? I'm like, I kind of had to just stare at her blankly for a second. Like, are you literally suggesting you promoting the fact that you want to go see a film? And she's like, yeah, what's what's the problem? I'm like, nothing. (laughs) So we go and we sit and we watch this movie and I enjoy it, but I'm also scared out of my wits because there is a lot of very dark imagery in this movie. And, uh, Mm -hmm. it's, and the animation does a really good job to kind of sell that horror to the point where it's like, it can really kind of both visually disturb you and also like, just kind of really get under your skin in a way, which is just, I wasn't used to be, I'm, I'm, uh, as I've mentioned previously on this podcast, I'm a huge scaredy cat to the point that I've avoided films just on the basis that they might be a little either gory or just really like terrifying. But I don't know, Coraline kind of just seemed to hit that balance where I could, I was definitely scared, but it didn't deter me from disliking, you know, it didn't make me dislike the film. Like, I still enjoyed it very much, and (laughs) the characters and the changes that they made from the book, which were illustrated very clearly by my friend, like, she was actually the person who really, originally said, like, there's this character in this film that's not in the book, but he's awesome. (laughs) He's, like, one of the best characters in the movie. Right, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so unfortunately, I don't really recall after that point. I, this this doesn't really cred- give credit to the idea that I like the film. Yeah, I mm-hmm. still enjoy the film because I have I don't recall seeing it between then and now here in 2019. But that's because I don't think I've ever really happened upon it anywhere else i haven't you know friends of mine haven't been going back and suggesting we watch it or um i haven't seen it played on tv at least i if it has been playing on tv yeah i've missed yeah. it yeah so, no, i i know what you mean i mean there are plenty of movies that i really like that i haven't seen like more than more than once probably or twice mm-hmm. like it's, it's no real reflection for me too much on on how much I like something. Um, I just sort of like forgotten about Caroline because it was, it, it was kind of, like you said, it was Laika's first movie. Mm-hmm. Technically, I think it was, I think in fact, Laika's actual first movie oh. um, was kind of uh, Corpse Bride. Oh, that's right. Like their first, like, uh, of that team, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, but it's probably, I'm probably not 
I'm probably not remembering that very well. Anyway, but like, it, it, yeah, I always think of Coraline as like, okay, yeah, this is the first like a movie. It's kind of like the the founding, you know, movie of that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just, yeah, I almost like take it for granted. Because it's like, yeah. okay, well, that's where Laika set off their first foot, kind yeah. of. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't know, that's that's all I really thought of it for a long time. I remember when the movie came out, mm-hmm. uh, I was actually really excited because um, I really, really, really like Henry Selleck. Yeah, he's he's like, he seems like a cool dude. Yeah, from from like the earliest uh, <laughs> like point I can remember knowing who he was. I think um, I think actually the first movie of his I saw was James and the Giant Peach. Right. Yes, I remember that movie. Which is like a real, uh, really good Henry Selleck movie, and it's and it's not like toned down at all. It's every movie that he's made is him. Mm-hmm. I feel very much like he's not. Um, actually, apart from like maybe Monkey Bone. Well, have you seen Monkey Bone? I have not at this time. It's weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a weird film. Um, it's like it's like Brendan Fraser, and there's a monkey. Huh. And it's kind of like a fantasy movie, but it's kind of like PG thirteen. Huh. Um, and it, I think it's based on like a comic book. And it's like, yeah, John Turturro is the voice of Monkey Bone. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's really weird. It's like a real... Uh... Sorry, I'm yawning a lot. It's um, okay. It's a, it's a real like passion project kind of thing where it's like... Uh, and it bombed like quite badly. Oh. Anyway, um, I love James and Joan Peach and... Uh, and Nightmare Before Christmas, and s- since like the moment I knew that it wasn't Tim Burton who directed Nightmare Before Christmas, I I would like always be the one to like jump in and correct people and be like, uh, actually Henry Selleck directed that because you know like it was it was kind of just a big deal to me that that was the guy who did it. Yeah, gotcha. Well, yeah, because I mean, if the he's you know he does all this work and puts such a stamp of his personality on a project, like you want to make sure it's like, hey, this is the guy who's responsible for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I just I love James and Giant Peach. I watched it a lot on video growing up. Same. Um, I thought it was really clever, and it very much like and like the rest of like his movies, like especially something like Box Trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like it got why I loved Roald Dahl so much. Mm-hmm. Like everything about it was just like tonally got it, and I feel like it's this very sort of like maybe it's a British thing, uh, but there's this this kind of flavor of. I don't think it's necessarily a British thing, but it's this flavor of like dark, like like almost like horror and comedy. Yeah, like like black comedy. And a very dry sense of humor going on. Mm 
which mm -hmm. is all in um, all over uh, Neil Gaiman's work. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, uh, what were we talking about, Caroline? No, um, we were we were talking about Henry Selick and with with yeah, in regards to Coraline and how his involvement. Like you know, make, basically help give the film its identity because if you've seen Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas and you've seen James and the Giant Peach and those like are becoming familiar with those you know the designs that he tends to lead toward and the type of storytelling he tends to lead toward, then you look at Coraline and it's just like oh yeah, this is definitely a Henry Selleck project because you've got the dry humor, you've got right. that kind of you know those. I guess now, because for some reason my brain was going to the color scheme, but I forgot that he hired someone else to uh, get their input on in terms of the color scheme of the film. But at least in terms of the mainly the character designs and kind yeah. of like that um, very, not want to say in your face, but he's he, Henry Selleck seems to like be a bit of a at least in regards to animated films, he seems to be a bit of a risk taker because there are certain aspects that at least story wise that especially in Coraline, you can kind of see bits of it in Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach, but there are some very dark, scary elements to those stories. And I mean, obviously, Night Before Christmas, you know, you're in Halloween town, that's a given, but... He definitely embraces it and pushes it as far as it can go. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, I definitely appreciated that. Yeah, same. Even because though... it was these sorts of movies that had no choice when they were being uh you know when they were being uh rated by um bbfc or mpaa like they would always be pg mm -hmm. because it's like well that's kind of a kids movie but like it would be like a top end pg <laughs> because of all of the themes happening and um just like the imagery yes yes for sure and Coraline has that in spades, which is one of the reasons why I was it, it left me so unnerved. Like it had a it had a happy ending, you know, spoilers, but yeah. it, it did have a happy ending, but there were still like those scenes, more so than the fact that even though I haven't gone back to see the film in a long time, those mm. scenes stick with you. Like and well, we'll get to the specifics when we we do go a bit more in depth into the film, but especially like the climax of the film for sure. I don't know why I have such strong memories of watching this movie at animation school. I feel like maybe it just had like, it came out the same year that I began animation school. Mm -hmm. And I remember it having, even though like actually um, only a few people that I knew, like a handful, maybe four people were interested in stop motion. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a, as a pursuit, we were all interested in it, but serious about actually making stop motion stuff. Um, it had like a big impact on everyone because it was like, uh, yeah like animation can be anything it can be a horror movie kind of for kids as well it can um and the design is actually you know like even though it's quite you know like recognizably henry selick ish mm -hmm. um the the production design of the movie is really unique i still don't think anything looks like it anything else looks like it no yeah I've, i um, even with the other like films that have come out since nothing looks yeah. like this film yeah well um actually so like there are a few i used to have the the, the concept art because there was never really a decent art of book 
mm-hmm. which was really they there was okay like making of book where it was sort of going to like the production a little bit more but there mm-hmm. wasn't what i really craved like a like um you know like an art of book with cons full of concept art okay so it was like one of the first times i sat down and i was like okay i like the look of this movie who did this and i got obsessed with um Tadahiro Uesugi. Yes, who, yes. That's the um the person that, that Henry Selleck brought onto the project. Who's like just an illustrator. He's like a classically trained um like magazine illustrator, basically. Mm-hmm. And um there are a couple of other like uh oh goodness. Um <laughs> the guy who did I Want My Hat Back, John Classen. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a kid's book called I Want My Hat Back. Mm-hmm. He uh, also, I think, did some development art. And there was another guy, Dan Kroll, who did development art. And I just, like, I would... I, I, I went on the IMGB and I found the credits of the movie. And I went to these guys' blogs. And on their blogs was where they had posted all of this. Oh, uh, wow. Development art. And it's gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. And I had that. I printed it out, like, for myself. And I had, there's this one painting uh, uh, of Coraline's, like, the house. Yeah, yeah. And there's this one painting that I had, like, as my desktop wallpaper. Oh. And also on my wall for years and years. Because it's just so, um, it's like, I think it must be like when they just first arrived at the house. Okay. And it's got like the moving van and the moving van has its brake lights on and it's all this very sort of like um, overcast feeling to the world. Mm-hmm. And the colours are so subtly beautiful. It's not anything like how like a like an executive would expect animation art to look like it's not appealing no it's, it's that's that's the point of how subtle it is yeah because then you go to the other world and that's the way that they make that visually distinctive is the color scheme for the regu- for the real world versus the other world which we'll talk about in a minute is yeah. drastically different uh, yeah, yeah. So I think just like the look of the movie is probably the thing that had like the largest lasting impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So did you ever read the book? No, unfortunately I did not. I was curious about the book and I think I still yeah. might intend to go book as I have, I've read a couple other Neil Gaiman books since then and i'm and i'm yes. becoming to enjoy his writing style a lot more so there's a good chance i might go back and what ones, take a look what at ones it. you read um he did a really nice um what what was the word um he did the, what the kind of call it's like an anthology of different um uh lore from uh norse mythology oh my god that one is so good it uh, is yeah, excellent it's like norse mythology i think yeah it was fantastic like he basically broke down all of these different norse myths in a very, very, I don't want to say eloquent, but just very straightforward way that it felt like you were sitting around a campfire and listening to these stories. And yeah. I really enjoyed that. And I'm curious, you know, with that being an example, 
of his work and say like, okay, how, how does Cor- how is the book Coraline read as a book? Right, right. Yeah, I think he, he does have like a definite voice, but it can bend, you know, into slightly different shades when he wants it to. Mm-hmm. I just finished reading Good Omens. Oh, Good Omens is good stuff. I love Which that. Which is by him and Terry Pratchett. Um, and you can tell, like, apparently the way they wrote, they sort of, they just sort of, uh, like, one would do a draft and the other one would kind of do a pass and then the other one would go, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the next bit and then you can do a pass. Like, it was really really collaborative yeah i need to reread uh, that to book it's one of it's one of my favorites yeah apparently like they can't actually read it and say oh that was definitely me that was definitely you <laughs> um so yeah i think he has like different tones and uh this one feels much did you ever read neverwhere no i did not unfortunately is a novel that he did that was, I think it was actually first like a BBC series. Okay. It was like a series in like 96 and mm-hmm. it kind of sucked like because he didn't he wanted it to be one thing and the TV channel wanted it to be another thing. Oh no. And they kept on like pushing elements that he didn't really want to push in it. Hmm it just sort of like ended up being a bad experience. And what he did was he just went, okay, well, I'll just write it as the novel that I think the story should be. Oh, cool. Um, But it's a very sort of like similar um, register almost where he's like, I mean, I can't say because I haven't read Caroline, but he's, it's all about like an underworld and sort of a kind of mirror world. Okay, got so similar themes in a way. Yeah, yeah, very similar themes. Um, uh, yeah, no, uh, Gaiman's Gaiman's a really interesting writer, and I almost feel like I almost feel like I don't need to read it. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. To be fair, I mean, I think this <laughs> when I at least collaborating with my my one friend who encouraged me to go see this movie with her, who had yeah. read the book, she said aside from. YB's inclusion of the film right. there had really really been not too many as far as I recall her saying any big changes or adjustments that didn't really still sell what the story was trying to tell you or Coraline's journey it didn't undercut any of those elements it may have been different for sure and I can't say if all the lines were similar from the book but at the very at the very least it still did the job of telling her story and her experiences, you know, that were illustrated in the book. Yeah, there are lots of movies. There are, I think, the the way I think about Caroline the most is I think of it comparing it to other things. Mm-hmm. I will always think of it in the same breath as Spirit of the Way, and any Alice in Wonderland thing, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. About a story about a girl who's not happy who is kind of either preteen or adolescent mm-hmm. and um, enters either through a tunnel or through something else into like another world, which is kind of not this world and kind of not even its own thing. Yeah. It's not 
uh, that I think that's the thing that's like most delicious about the whole idea to me is that it's, I mean, the whole point of the other world is it's trying to trick you into thinking that this is the only world. When it really isn't. When it's like a pale imitation. It's really, do you know, um, I'm not going to spoil anything. And this is really dating this episode now because uh, I'm just going to mention last night I saw us. Oh, okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I couldn't help notice so many uh, comparisons uh, between us and this. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, like, not just just, like in the thematic stuff, like there is a lot of, it's not a spoiler to say because it's a movie about doppelgangers, but it's um, uh the way things mirror thematically is is like reminded me a lot of us. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. the thing that actually I was I was most like just watching it, to, watching Caroline today, I was the most um, impressed by was how when there's a scary scene, mm-hmm. the filmmaking isn't. Uh, doing anything with one arm behind its back. Mm-hmm. It's always like full in with the horror. Like there are a couple, there's a moment with like the door when the door at the end of the movie is um, Caroline shut the door, but she's running back to the tunnel. Oh, I think and, I know that I know the scene what you're talking and the about. The door is just like going doof, 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 doof. and as it's going doof, 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 it's getting closer and closer. That scene still terrifies me to this day. And it's a really, like, simple idea, actually. Um, But it reminded me a lot of, there's a similar thing that happens in uh, the last series of Twin Peaks. Oh my gosh! Where it's just imagery and just, like, doof, 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 like, constantly... Uh, you know, like a thing hammering at the other side of a wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, Jesus, uh, <laughs> it's it's a scary little movie. <laughs> but good, nonetheless. So I think because of that, we've had that scene illustration. Let's, I mean, because we didn't specify exactly when that happened in the movie. So I guess we can. I mean, considering that this film is now ten years old. If you haven't seen it by now, um, we'll we'll basically try to say like, okay, if you want, don't want us to talk about certain scenes, probably from this point forward, we'll say we will probably be starting to talk about scenes in a bit more detail. So if you don't, if you do want to experience it blind, um, you know, you could pause this yeah, here and then yeah, go pause watch it, the film. Don't watch the movie. It's definitely like, especially if you're a fan of stop motion or Leica in general. Like, I, you probably chances are you probably already have seen this movie, but if you haven't, go do that now because it's a good. I, it's a really good, I, you know, gives you an idea of what Leica was basically, how they were trying to set an impression on the rest of the animation community, basically saying, this is who we are, this is what we want to try and focus on. So, yeah. 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 So, go see the film. Um, so, talking a bit more specifically, if we're going to go back to that scene that we were describing, the, um, which is actually in the climax of the film. Um, which, like I said, was probably, it was extremely well done. Even if you, like, even if 
even though I was already on board, even if there were certain parts of the film that frustrated you, that movie definitely had you like either curled up into a ball or just like at the edge of your seat by that climax. But that, like you said, that exact technique where they have that like hammering uh, at the door was extremely well handled. And I'm wondering exactly like what, like even now thinking back, like what kind of, what I know now about stop motion, like what technique did they use in order to do that? Yeah, I well, I think I remember curling being on uh, like a very, very exciting precipice for stop motion where it was like, okay, we're still making movies in the same way as we ever, as we always have mm-hmm. as stop motion animators. But what about new technology can we use mm-hmm. to, and this is, I feel like the most important thing to support the stop motion. Yeah. So it was never about taking, cause like Caroline uses CG and it uses hand-drawn animation mm-hmm. and it uses um, like lots of computer compositing techniques. Yeah. Uh, in a way that, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, what the last, like, big stop-motion animation movie would have been Corpse Bride. Yeah, you're right. And let me double-check on that. Let me, let me see. Let me make sure I've got that that right. So just keep going, and I'll, I'll confirm that for you. Yeah, so Corpse Bride was kind of the first movie to use, and it was kind of like a clock. I, right. So <laughs> the, the movie uh, Corpse Bride, um, yeah, it came this, out in 2005, sorry. They used this technique with the puppets where um, they controlled the facial animation. On the back of their heads was kind of like a clockwork mechanism. Hmm. They had tiny little screwdrivers and they would pull these screws, they would twist these screwdrivers and uh, they would manipulate the expressions or the faces of the characters. So it would be, huh. if they wanted them to smile or to, you know, to open their mouth, they would do it using these these clockwork mechanisms. Hmm. And it was kind of like this way that they were trying to push the technology, basically. Okay. Um, but I don't think it was really successful. Mm. What happened around the time that Caroline um, uh, was being put into production was rapid prototyping became uh, a more affordable option. Okay. Basically 3D printing. Yes, yes. So uh, Caroline was the first, uh, as I understand it, might be entirely wrong but it was certainly the first like big stop motion production to use rapid prototyping techniques for uh character facial animation mm-hmm. so uh like Caroline, she actually has and if you look at the uh like behind the scenes footage you can see that she clearly has like um this line just above her eyes yeah um, where they would just like clip on a new face. Ah. Uh, 
they would clip on a new face for like the, yeah like just below where her eyes begin it's, yeah so it's sort of like from her brow basically okay um and that was i think true for caroline and most of the main characters on on the movie mm-hmm. and it 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 had like a much more expressive quality compared to the kind of clockworky mechanism where they had like um that they that they use for corpse bride right and the benefit of that was they had uh essentially they had the facial animation done uh, in CG, as it were. Mm-hmm. And the rapid prototyping also was a point with technology where uh, I think they, I believe this is true, this might be wrong. Um, they were also um, uh, at the point with technology where they could have like the computer paint as well. Right. Okay. Gotcha. The faces. That might be, that might have been something that they developed later by the point of like paranormal, I think. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So, like, basically, Caroline had this like line on her face where the mask would be clipped on by the animators and that was painted out. Uh, right. Yeah. So that like, they could in, basically in hide the fact that they had to, ch- they were, when they had to change their expressions when they were filming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it wasn't. It, it was not. Um, it wasn't just that. It was also, you know, the inclusion of every other type of animation technique to mm-hmm. help support the movie, which I think made it like an interesting production for, like, you know, for people who were interested in animation, definitely. Well, yeah, because it's basically the idea that. You to make a film. I mean, obviously, depending on your budget, it doesn't have to be you know individually or just exclusive, justly which is one type of animation. If it's going to work for your story and if you have the people to do it, you know, why not blend the styles together to make something that works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're right because I mean, now that I'm you know thinking about it and maybe looking at some of these clips again. Some of these are jumping out to me as not like singularly stop motion elements and CG elements. And as I know that that's something that uh, Like has continued to do since this film, but it really kind of got its start here from, from in terms of what you were telling me earlier. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do also feel like, and I don't, I don't mean anything, uh, What's the word? This isn't like a derogatory comment at all. But I feel like any stop motion movie is commendable, (laughs) really, (laughs) for the fact that they made a movie by hand using this crazy technique. Yeah. Like there is there are there are um live action people who you sometimes hear talk about animation. Where they're Mm -hmm. like, why would you ever make a movie this way? It's crazy. And animators feel that way, I think, about stop motion animation. <laughs> Where it's just like. Because it's all this work that you have to put in order to make it look good and believable, considering, you know, how it works. But still, it's just like, yeah, that's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. And like, it's particularly 
with stop motion animators, like a lot of it is just, you know, it's like stunt work. It's just, okay, we have one opportunity really to do this. Um, you know, like do this whole scene at once. <laughs> like, you know, there's a cat and there's Coraline and she has hair and the cat kind of is walk is a four-legged walking thing. Oh, and mm-hmm. the wind's blowing. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. all of that stuff was just made by hand. It's it's really impressive. Yeah, it's it's and I still marvel when I I mean when I went back to watch it today, it was it, it was like, it, I still have to like stop myself because I get caught up in the film itself. And then you know, like, you have to stop and think about like, oh no, wait, these, like, even just a few seconds of these shots are basically someone moving a model around on a stage, dressing them up in clothes and putting them in a pose and then having to change the facial expressions. It's just like, how long had like, that's like, you would think, someone who would be woefully ignorant of stop, how stop motion animation works, like I am, uh, that it would take like forever and a day to, to do all that. At least not even like get 140 minutes worth of a yeah, film. I think the truth is it does. <laughs> it does take forever. And I do know like when they make stop motion movies, there will be like six stages happening at once. Mm-hmm. Like just to stay on schedule they have to set up multiples. Yeah. Otherwise it's, it won't finish. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's wild. So Caroline Jones moves to okay, you're gonna have to help me out with this because I'm not okay with American geography. She that's moves, perfectly fine. She moves from Detroit. Yes. To where is the movie set? Uh Pontiac, uh, no, so she's removed from Pontiac, Michigan, to, oh. um, which is, yeah, that's one of the northern states, to Ashland, Oregon, which is to okay. the west. And Oregon is where Lyca's based, right? I'm trying to remember. Hold on they're a moment. In, they're based in Portland. Yes, they're Portland. Yeah, so, like, just watching this movie as, uh, like, not an American, a, a, a Brit like mm-hmm. it felt refreshing just because it was a movie set in a state that movies are not usually set yes <laughs> like that was really interesting as it was like I could tell the quality of the air was different yes and uh, I loved that a lot because it reminded me of England yeah, well, okay. see, most of the most of the weather that of the, during the time there is also very wet and mucky too. <laughs> and I remember living in England. There's a lot of rain. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I kind of I feel at home in those sorts of environments, like mm-hmm. overcast kind of um, environment, really. And uh, yeah, so she moves to this new place, mm-hmm. and her family it's like there's a giant pink house that a few different people live in yeah it was renovated into a part into an apartment complex in a way yeah but carly and her family kind of have like the biggest apartment it seems 
Yeah, I don't know how they, they lucked out on that. Maybe they had the money to pay for it. Who knows? It's kind of what, like, I think in the UK would be called a maisonette, we call it. Okay, yeah. Where you kind of, everyone else kind of lives in either the basement or the top floor, but the first floor is like its own house. Yeah. Anyway, that's not important. <laughs> that's not important. <laughs> that's perfectly fine. Um. Anyway, Caroline moves here and it kind of immediately sucks for her yeah and she's bored and she bumps into uh she kind of gets like a dowsing rod and she's kind of well she kind of makes one out of a you know like a twig mm-hmm. and she bumps into yb uh while she's looking for a well with her dowsing rod um and what's YB's deal? I can't, I can't really pin him down in this scene. He's just sort of like, "Hey, you're the new girl. You don't really impress me very much." I don't know. I think he was probably just because it, it's implied later on in the film that um the idea of meeting her and spending time with her originally wasn't so much his idea, but the cat's because he is friends with this cat, this black cat that he describes as a feral cat. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, being a relatively the same age as she is, he's curious about when a new kid moves in, especially since he's tied to the house that she's moved into that's now this apartment because his grandmother used to live there and she owns the building. So, right. I mean, yeah, I so guess that's, he's trying to be friendly, but at the same time, Coraline's being very standoffish. It's a very typical sort of like kids meeting each other kind of atmosphere where it's like like just because we're kids we're not going to be friends yeah it's like well, you're weird you have a dousing rod you're weird because you freaking stalked me and almost ran over me with your bicycle wearing yeah. a weird ass mask yeah so she's just sort of you know it's a very gentle start to the movie mm-hmm. really. it's it we're sort of discovering the world as she is which is how a lot of these Alice in Wonderland, Spirited Away-ish kind of movies start, where mm-hmm. it's sort of like, this girl's just wandering around, and we're following her, and we're kind of drinking in the world at the same time as she is. Yeah, basically, it's, it, it, in, basically in script writing terms, we're establishing the status quo before we break it hard. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's, that status quo is, is kind of established a little stronger in the next scenes when her parents... <laughs> I was watching this film today with my housemate and we were just like, her parents really, really do stink. Yeah. Like, you you can't truly blame Coraline for being so frustrated because her parents are basically ignoring her. And I mean, it's, it's, you mean, you could partially play that off too. It's like, oh, she's a kid. She's, you know, she wants more attention. They are absolutely awful. I think. Yeah. They're not like they're really unlikable characters (laughs) (laughs) genuinely i really genuinely feel like they're quite unlikable Mm -hmm. um yeah like they're kind of they're they're like uh like home and garden kind of writers yeah it's it strikes me that the father's more of the writer while the mother's the editor or they kind of go over like they kind of supposedly work at a t- as a team to write about like the yeah like a home and garden magazine catalog oh, that makes so much sense okay so the mom's the okay okay so the mom is like the boss 
Yeah. Hence why <laughs> she's the worst of the two, because she's a lot more critical and harsh. Yeah. As opposed to the father, who is, he, he seems like slightly absent-minded, just very focused on his work, but he still has some jovial moments, which is why we, you know, that, why it makes sense that when they translate that to his doppelganger, his doppelganger has those traits as well. Yeah, he's just a very sort of wimpy, <laughs> submissive <laughs> kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of um, an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and it's, again, it, you can't 100% blame Coraline for being so frustrated with her current situation. Not only being a kid that's recently moved from a place that she oh. clearly enjoyed, living in you know obviously her friends are back where she moved from and yeah no no i'm yeah. not in the slightest can you blame her and like both of her parents are kind of mean to her mm-hmm. like they're quite mean they're just like look we're working leave us alone go and play not like that yeah um, Car- caroline's just a curious kid and she finds this sort of like patched up um how does she find it she just finds like a um, I'm trying to recall. I think she was just, she was exploring the house because her dad gave her the suggestion to basically not disturb them, either of the parents from working by going around counting windows and doors, et cetera, and exploring the house. And I think if I recall correctly, she saw like a certain part of the, the wall that looked definitely looked like it was plastered up. Yeah. Uh, found out it was and, and knocked on into basically it had a key, uh, blocked over keyhole and that's where she asked her mom like please unlock this door for me only to find yeah. out it's been bricked up and the mom's like look I'll do this one thing for you if you just leave me alone mm-hmm. uh, yeah playing the role of jerk quite well again <laughs> yes um, yeah so she opens the brick wall thing and uh, she opens the thing and there's a brick wall yeah and it's just like, okay, well... Let I down. Guess, yeah, I guess nothing's happening. <laughs> um, this film is quite hard to recap because it's quite, it's quite light on plot. It is. It is because it really, like... At least a lot of the bigger stuff doesn't really happen till the latter half of the film because a lot of the first half is, like you said, is establishing the world that Coraline inhabits, the real world, and then leading off from the point that we're about just about to get to, which is where she uh, wakes up in the middle of the night hearing yeah. mice uh, in her room. And then the mice fall, you know, run downstairs and she chases it downstairs only to find that these mice are coming from behind this door, which was not locked when she closed it, when they closed it back up. They, her mother unlocked it for her and then they, they didn't bother to lock it back up because the fact it was, you know, it there was just bricks on the other side, right? And then she travels through that, and then finds this carbon, almost carbon copy of the house she lives in. And except, except this version of her mother is much nicer. Um, has buttons, clearly has buttons for eyes, and same. So does everyone else in this particular version of the world. But it is everything that Coraline wants or needs in her life right now parents that love her cook her good food make her laugh and just like pay just and pay attention just paying attention to her for not just pay attention to her but like she is the center of the world 
mm-hmm. like everything they do like the dad sings this song that he just casually made up for her about mm-hmm. her and the mum like the the whole thing is like yeah the mum refuses to cook in the real world and this mum cooks and she's also uh, a lovely cook and Caroline loves her food and she's being spoiled yeah and even like super fantastic elements um like say there's a gravy train there's literally a train on the table that brings her gravy for her mashed potatoes or <laughs> yeah. a mango smoothie that's dispensed from the chandelier like really like basically something you would see in a kid's fantasy world, like, you know, ideal yeah. fantasy home. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and she, like, has a makeover room, and of course she gets tucked up to bed, and uh, the next day she wakes up and she's back in the real world. hmm And she you know, like any character who has like a taste for another world. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like, how do I get back there? She just yeah. wants to get back. Mm-hmm. She races to the... I, I don't think... See, this is why it's becoming quite hard to, to recap because I can't think exactly what happens next. Well, I think we still have a few bits with a bit more world building in the real world and then that will later be reflected in the the doppelganger world when which she consistently goes to when she goes to bed. Right. And um she meet you know, she gets to meet the other people of the apartments. She meets the uh eccentric Russian man that lives in the uh upstairs area of the building who is uh secretly trying to put together a mice circus. Voiced by Ian McShane. Yes. I didn't Quite wonderfully. I yeah, but I'd entirely forgotten that he had done this. He's great. <laughs> he is wonderful. He's probably He's one of my favorite parts of the movie. As well. And I love how they animate him too, in terms of like because the almost the entire time you're first introduced to this character in the real world, he never sits still. He's always like doing some <laughs> yeah. kind of outrageous like acrobatics or feats of a feat of strength when he doesn't even look that strong but it's just like it, you just kind of look at him and just like how in the world can one guy just do all this like it's nothing yeah um but then she also meets the two ladies elderly ladies who live in the basement area who seem to be retired um either actresses or performers who, um, and I think maybe, maybe, I don't know maybe if they were a circus, because they, that would explain the... Um, I think it's ambiguous. I think it's intentionally ambiguous in that they're sort of like, like, we kind of wanted to be actors, but we just dabbled in anything that happened on the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that would explain the whole... Because um, in terms of like the, like the mystic side with those two characters, because I know one of them uh, reads her tea leaves and basically kind of start predicting it's kind of leading into like oh you're in grave danger yeah uh, yeah and they the kind darkness. of have like it's... A, it's almost like they have like a kind of bawdy side to them like mm-hmm. maybe they they could have been like burlesque dancers or something at some stage as well yeah that wouldn't surprise me but um yeah so sh- we have a few scenes where she's being introduced to them and then also she sees YB again and um notices that the cat is being very more observant of her, at least coming toward the, coming to the house without Wybie. Yeah. Um, and then she goes back to the 
the other world and you know they're still she's being showered with affection by her other mother and father and then she's meeting the alternate versions of other of the other people she we've already come to know um we meet that world's version of yb who doesn't talk it's completely silent can't talk because Coraline finds him his talking annoying um it's it's horrible it's terrible it's really horrible because um yeah he's like uh uh yeah it's just (laughs) that's that's one of like the most unsettling things in the film yeah like for me is the other yb yeah for sure like i mean like the other versions of the um you know the russian guy i think his name is uh bobinski miss spink and miss forcible um we get to meet their alternate interpretations as well, who are very successful and also do what they can to entertain her. Like the Bobinski in the other world has a successful circus. Um, and then the other two old ladies are actually still young women and they're, they put on a whole show for them. Um, but yeah, as we continue to go through and, you know, Coraline's having the time of her life, there's still kind of this underlying darkness and we get our first hint of it when they finish playing for the night and Coraline's being taken back inside the house and YB, the other YB starts to frown and basically or like look worried for her which yeah. the mother notices and basically kind of does this really intimidating motion it's like you better keep smiling or else yeah 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 and that's where we get the first major plot drop where basically the other mother says you know you could stay here forever and then just we have to do one thing first and then she produces the buttons and a needle and says we have to sew out your eyes and put them buttons on them and it's just like okay (laughs) this film just got like i mean you should already picked up on the fact that this is gonna be have a dark underbelly but it went there very fast yeah that's the thing that feels to me like very classic um neil gaiman actually Mm -hmm. like the sort of in the in the tradition of of folk tales Mm mm-hmm and 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 fairy stories it's like okay there needs to be a sacrifice or like a threat of a sacrifice mm-hmm. that needs to happen here and it's kind of it's very evocative of um of uh the older version of cinderella where mm-hmm. the ugly sisters have their eyes pecked out yeah like losing your eyes is a very sort of um uh, primal folktale motif that's always about losing uh, losing your morality almost like mm-hmm. the eyes being the window to the soul if you lose your eyes then you're basically you know you're um, you're going to be your soul is going to be blind you know and mm-hmm. it's, it's very sort of on the nose but it's it's very scary when you just see this needle presented to Caroline, and like the dad says something like, "Oh, it's so sharp, you won't feel a thing." Yeah, I mean, and I and I do appreciate when he does say that the the other mother dad kind of kicks him under the table too. <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah, like like shush, but um, it it just it really plays up the tension of that scene, and basically, yeah, and and Coraline being a intelligent young lady. Basically, it takes one look at that and is like, nope, 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 not doing this. 
and attempts to try and, you know, play out this scene as it has so many other times before where she just goes to bed and she's back in her old home. Well, this time it doesn't work that way. And she's still in that same world. And oh, and it's like it it's it's a really good it's a really clever moment because it's playing off the horror of uh yeah, like <laughs> yeah, this isn't a dream that I can wake up from. No, yeah, you, we've we've gone past that now. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I'm not entirely sure because I know up to that point she was really super frustrated with her mother because, like, the point, like, the terribleness of her actual mother was getting too, like, really super sour to the point where she was starting to prefer the other worlds from her real life, and so she actually yeah, she was just like the other mother was like her real mother that is. Mm-hmm. Kind of just getting um, oppressive only in her mundanity. Yeah. <laughs> like the world that she was giving Carol- Car- Coraline um, was just aggressively not fun. No. And she was, I mean, the thing that struck me most watching this film was that, no, sorry her mom is selfish. Yeah, no, she is. She's so caught up in her career. Um, and, like, there's this, the thing where, like, she goes shopping with her mom. Mm-hmm. And Caroline's just... It's actually really sad, because Caroline is desperate for her mom's attention. Mm-hmm. Really. That's it. Her mother yep. barely looks at her. It's, it's so hard. It was really hard to watch when I was watching it earlier today. It really is. And the film, like, kind of... It doesn't sidestep it, but it's kind of got this thing going on where it's like, oh, it's a kid's film. You know, she's a happy-go-lucky thing. But you realize that part of her character is... She is that way because it's like a defense mechanism mm-hmm. against you know, how little her car- her parents seem to care about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I mean, like, it was at that point where she's really super frustrated with her, her, her mom, particularly her mom, her dad. I don't know how, I mean, probably he's partially to blame as well, but she basically tries to go there and she unlocks the door in the middle of the day and then goes in. And then that's when she finds out that, oh yeah, you got to sew your eyes in order to stay here forever. She tries to go to sleep. She's still stuck in that world. And then everything immediately takes a turn for the dark where um, the dad, the other dad, the one in the other world is starting to act funny, like definitely not as vibrant as he once was. And it's becoming more and more clear that something is incredibly wrong. Um, yeah, the dad is an interesting character because it seems like his thing, his sin Mm-hmm. He's doing nothing. Mm-hmm. His sin is like, uh, all right, I'm lazy. So the easiest way out is to just go with the flow. <laughs> yeah. Though we haven't mentioned one character that has popped out uh, a lot in this film, or does pop up quite a bit in this film, and that is, I don't think the cat has a name, but he is an actual character right. in this movie, and he's yeah. one of Coraline's best allies because he's familiar with the world that she's going to and as he, he explains he's like you know she's she as in the other mother is always trying to keep me out because she hates cats 
but I just do what I please. And voiced by the awesome Keith David. Yeah, I I had entirely forgotten that point. I will admit, when I first saw this movie in 2009, and then I heard his voice come out of a cat, I was kind of thrown a little bit, because I had most gotten to know Keith David for mainly, like, video game roles, and also Princess Mononoke, and, like, two primary video game roles. He was one of the primary characters in Halo, if I recall, as well as... As well as um, the another primary character in Mass Effect, he was um, uh, Admiral Anderson, who was basically sh- uh, whatever version of Shepard you played as their main their main confidant. So those are the roles I knew him the most for. But then, like, I hadn't really seen him in too many other movies, so I thought he'd basically moved on to just video game I'm, roles. I'm trying to think what I recognize him from because, yeah, I know I know he's like he's a he was obviously in Princess and the Frog, and he had like mm-hmm. had a long career, like doing doing voices for animation, actually. Yes. Um, but there must be, oh goddamn. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> but he's definitely the cat. I really like how they use the cat character in this in this film. Yes, yes. And because he's he was very entertaining and almost like a. Ch- in a quite but not quite Cheshire way. He's mischievous. Yes, as as most cats are. But definitely he's in Coraline's camp in terms of the person that's trying to lure her into a trap is not nice. Do not trust her. This yeah. isn't what this isn't what it this world isn't what it seems kind of thing. And but um and he does well, he, give Coraline advice too. Yeah, he's kind of the one, like, um, not in, like, a helpful way. No. <laughs> he's just sort of like, hey, Caroline, um, is this really that good? Like, <laughs> yeah, he's just sort of there to sort of, yeah, like, in a very sort of Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket way. Like, like I'm not going to tell you straight up to leave. But, um, are you sure? Yeah, and even, um, later on in the film, when she's going back to save her parents, um, mm. he, he, he's, he's the one who basically literally tells her, like, why don't you try challenging her? But he doesn't tell her how to challenge her. It's like that, right. he leaves that for Coraline to decide. Right. So I, I don't know why that made, just, this just made me think of, but I, do you remember The Last Unicorn? Or did you ever I'm watch afraid- that? I'm afraid I don't. There was a line, because there was a talking cat in that movie as well, and... Oh, really? Yeah, and there was a line from one of the characters, the human characters, talking to this cat who is looking to him for answers, and he basically answers her with a riddle. And she's like, why can't you just answer my question instead of talking in riddles? And he's like, because I am what I am. It's like, I'd tell you what, if, I'd tell you, what you wanted to know if I could, but I'm a cat, and no cat ever gave a straight answer. Right. <laughs> And I'm like, why does that seem so familiar to this film and how this cat behaves? Yeah, he's just a little shit starer. <laughs> but in th- in the best way, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, so Coraline's found out she's trapped in this world, she can't get out really under her own power. Um so she confronts the other mother and that's when we start getting an idea of what she really looks like her form starts to look less human and more monstrous 
and she oh, literally yeah, broke Coraline into this trap. Like the trans <clears throat> the transformation's crazy good because mm -hmm. her neck like grows and her she sort of like hunches mm -hmm. over and she gets more um like uh, her her limbs grow longer and she just gets like more spider like yeah like the the theme of the spider is definitely a ongoing thing with her design and even later on as we get further into the climax mm -hmm. um but yeah she locks up Coraline and then that's where Coraline discovers um three other children who were who basically suffered a similar fate, though they actually went through with the sewing of their eyes, but were eventually disposed of by this other mother. And they were basically wasted away until they died, and there's nothing left but their uh, souls. Yeah, that's really unsettling. Yeah, no kidding. Um, the fact that actually, you know, like in, I feel like in maybe like a Disney movie, there would be oh these kids their souls are trapped and you can you can return them to their families yet but yeah like some glimmer of hope this one's just like no they're they're, they're, they're dead <laughs> they're gone you can at the very least set their souls free so they can move on to the next life but that's that's yeah. the best thing you can do for them at this point they've been through some shit <laughs> But um, YB, the other YB, does, does come to her rescue and uh, get her back through the door. But that's when she goes home and she realizes her parents are no longer there. And she finds yeah. out that the other mother has, in order to lure her back into the world, kidnapped them in order to get at Coraline. And then that's where we start our climax, is her going back and then basically bargaining with the other mother to save yeah. these souls, the souls of these kids, and well as, as well as get her parents back. I think this is the weakest part of the film. Yeah. Like, it just started to feel like, and I don't mean this as a compliment, like a video game. Okay. <laughs> like, it was just, uh, cool. She got the first Dragon Ball thing. With the <laughs> and then, and then she just sort of, I think what the, the trapped soul inside the first one mm -hmm. says, like, there are still two left. <laughs> Just like we know, we we know, like we know, we saw how many kids there were in that room. And, we know there's only three. Yeah, and there's not. I didn't feel like there was much of an obstacle to her obtaining those. Mm. It was sort of like, I guess, like the trickiest one. I mean, it's the ending. The climax is still amazing. Yeah, okay. This is you this is technically the lead up to the climax. That she's the getting yeah, yeah. the lead the lead up is just sort of quite um there is some fun to be had. I like the bat dogs. That that was a very great design. The bat dogs are hilarious. The dogs in this movie are hilarious. I love them. <laughs> Little Scottish terriers, um, I believe. Yeah, the, the terrier being the usher for the theatre. <laughs> uh, made me yep. hoot because I just wasn't expecting it. I, I really <laughs> enjoyed that. Um, so yeah, she she uh, she so yeah, she gets that, and then what she the circus guy, the Russian guy, <laughs> like he gets. He's all rats. 
she's attacked by like cotton candy cannons. <laughs> that was really silly. That was really silly. Yes. The one that really scared me though, I mean obviously the the, the bat dogs were like that was really funny, but I actually did get scared by the the ladies in the cocoon on the stage. It's yeah, but it's I see this is why I like the movie because of stuff like this where it's like in their performance to her, mm-hmm. they came out of like they treated their their like older fatter bodies as um, like shells that they sort of broke out of, mm-hmm. and I like that in the in the end they're actually trapped inside of those. Yeah. They're trapped inside of a shell type thing. Mm-hmm. Because that's tied to the characters that we've seen in the re- in the real world, because that's what they're based on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, the, all those I different like things that. tie back to those characters. Yeah, but I like all that mirroring stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the real things really get going is when she's, like you said, collected the quote-unquote Dragon Balls and his heading back into the house um, to confront the other mother. And the world is, the rest of the world, as she gets these things, is disappearing around them because the whole illusion's getting undone. Um, which I like the effect of how they, how the world just starts disintegrating around them. Yeah, that's really, uh, that's really awesome. Uh... Again, as part of the stop motion thing, like, how did they do that? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I remember actually the time that when the movie came out, like that was a big talking point, that effect. Because mm-hmm. it was just like, what the hell? It's like there's a kind of void, and it's kind of like you could tell some parts were stop motion and some parts weren't. Mm-hmm. Like the sheer craft when the house is collapsing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, I think that was done in stop motion. Yeah, that, I think so. And we'll, we're, we're getting to that part in the film where she does confront the other mother and uh, has a little game of wits in terms of getting her parents out of there and escaping with her life. But in that, in that process, A, we get to see the other mother in her most disfigured, monstrous appearance with, like, these really dis- disturbing, like, needle-like hands and um, then yeah. as things start to unravel, like you said, the house itself unravels and then the floor doesn't necessarily dissipate, but it breaks down, like it, there's nothing supporting underneath it and it breaks into like this web furthering along that, that, Im- that spider-like imagery yeah. that we mentioned before. Which was then, that entire sequence was fantastic. And if, I think more than anything, Everything else in Coraline, like aside from the cat, which I think is one of the most memorable parts of the movie for me, I think this was the scene I remember the most. Is the fe- this whole climax sequence where there, where Coraline is confronting the other mother and then struggling to get out of that spider's web. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I this is still I think my favorite part of the movie because it's so. Yeah, it's just like they didn't hold back. They didn't no. hold back on it. They didn't hold back on the animation, the design, how scary it gets. Um, 
the colors, everything just sort of like lets loose. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that that particular scene where she does get back to the door and is able to close, and it's without with the, with great deal of effort close it. Um, but then as she's she thinks she's safe, but then you start hearing the other mother scream, and then we have that effect we talked about earlier, where it's just like do 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 as the tunnels coming, like almost yeah. closing in on her as she's trying to run away back to the regular door. Like it's, oh, it's so intense. Yeah, and structurally, it does something really interesting, which I really like it when a movie does this, which is when there's like a fake out ending. Mm-hmm where she's kind of like um uh she's like okay cool everything's fine i'm home now and the ghost kids are like no you're not fine it's not over for you yeah yeah but it's structurally it works really well because it does feel like could end there almost that's what it felt like to me like if, when i think about this movie but i always think like that last scene being the final bit but also at the same time something wasn't quite right no and i really like it when movies do that when it's like cool here's the end and you're like is it like something doesn't feel quite right and then the movie's like yeah we got um finished business we've got a loose end we gotta tie up And that was the the key. They she needs to get rid of the key so it never gets used to unlock that door again. But mm-hmm. one of the hands, one of the other mother's like needly hands, is still running around in that tunnel. It crawls itself out and chases after Coraline, and they have this almost have this semi death match for the for the key. Which yeah. YB comes in like a like a boss on his bike and uh, comes to help out. <laughs> And they yeah, and, the, and they, and, they flush it down the well. <laughs> well, they, they they first they break the hand completely. They like they like sm- I think YB smashes it with like a like either a giant stick or a post or something, and then they wrap it up in like this cloth and then they toss it down to the wind to the well. Yeah, they just drop a rock on it, right? No, yeah, you're right. They dropped a rock on it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so all this time. <laughs> I was watching this day and I was just like, yeah, but her parents stink. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, this is a happy ending. It's like, no, her parents still suck. Kind of, right? Yeah, I mean, you kind of get the idea that maybe they're not as stressed out as they perhaps were earlier and they're loosening up a bit. But right. yeah, as far as if, if you're, if you're, if that's a big problem for you, if the fact that they are just kind of like jerks to Coraline, then it's just like, well, this isn't really a happy ending, then, is it? It's it's a hopeful end. It's a, it's, a, it's it's at least an ending where I think of it like this, at least where it's like, okay, the main thing for me with the mom is that she's not even looking Coraline in the face half the movie. Mm-hmm. Half the movie, she's just ignoring her. Mm-hmm. And the other mother actually is is quite it's quite interesting. Like she never actually makes eye contact with her because she's got buttons for eyes. Exactly. But she basically does make eye contact with her mm-hmm. in a way that the Caroline's real mother doesn't. 
mm-hmm. and by the end her mom is actually like looking at her yeah choosing to look at her and to take the time to look at her rather than it just like always be something that she does with her hands on her hips mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah by yeah. the end of the film it seems like she's she's finally settling into her surroundings and and making making it her own getting used to it i, I like really enjoy that bit in the the final moments of the movie where they're having a garden party and she's serving everyone drinks uh lemonade mm-hmm. and uh it's shot from mostly from her first person perspective yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's re- that is really nice. Yeah, and she's kind of creating the reality. She's actually kind of making a, a real version of the fantasy that the other mother showed her mm-hmm. and the other father showed her as well, actually. Yeah, the, the garden that, that they made for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it, wrapped things up, it wraps things up nicely, though. It, there's still that kind of, like, tidbit the end where you see the cat just kind of overlooking the house and then he disappears behind a pole or something and just like oh there's still there's still some weird stuff going on but it's at least it's Coraline's involvement and that is over oh right yeah yeah it's kind of like a cue of like she didn't imagine everything it's yeah it's those things kind of did happen according Mm -hmm. to the movie yeah like it's all uh, real. It's all real, man. Yeah, uh, I I like this movie a lot. It's it's very much, you know, the thing watching it today that I I kind of um, I kind of felt was that the arts and crafts feel of it mm-hmm. is something I feel like Lyca might be in danger of losing. Really? Yeah, so like um, their new movie, what the heck was it even called? Missing Link. Missing Link. I think that came and went. No, it's not even out yet. No, yeah, it's but we're, <laughs> we're we're getting we're talking about it. It's 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 coming out in April here. See, that happens with movies nowadays where it's like I've been seeing trailers for this for so long. And and I mean like trailers when I've gone to see other movies as well. Mhm. Where I'm like, surely that must have come out by now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's like the thing with Missing Link, and I know this is like a weird criticism to throw at a movie. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like too perfect to me. Oh. Danger of losing the actual, like, handcrafted feel of stop motion. Okay, I think I see what you mean. It looks Where, maybe a bit more computer generated than probably previous outings, like especially this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually even felt a little bit, I mean, Kubo was good and I liked it a lot, but I even felt at the times in Kubo, mm-hmm. where I was like, okay, I understand to make an adventure movie, you can't have everything look like a stop motion set. Mm-hmm. Uh but you're in danger of just like losing what makes what makes your movies your movies. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. No, I get you. And I 
it's hard to say. I mean, I will see what happens when Missing Link comes out and if, if and when they give us more information about its production and if they're still, I mean, I guess it will really depend on what kind of stories they want to tell in the future and what kind of uh, animation styles suit the story better. But yeah, it would, it would be, it would be sad to see like a let go of something that they could clearly do incredibly well. I, I, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think it's more uh, a result of the studio just getting big. Yeah. You know, I think it just happens when, you know, when you've had a, a, a thing going for a while, it just it settles into its own kind of groove. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I'll probably still go and see Missing Link and it, it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks really funny. Uh, but yeah, it definitely looks like it's not got the kind of uh, warmth of things like Coraline and particularly mm-hmm. like Ardman movies where they kind of, they're janky on the edges and that's kind of the charm. Yeah, gotcha. That's part of what makes it so unique is the fact that it's it's not a hundred percent perfect and it's got its own like you said it's got its own yeah. charm to it. Yeah, and Car- and Caroline like it, like we've already said like makes use of like two D animation and uh, or, like there are lots of like really beautiful matte paintings in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, um, stretching back into the background, all of that stuff is just hand painted. Wow, uh, stuff really. So it's. And it, but it's maybe like the percentages, you know, it's probably like 70% stop motion, whereas, whereas uh, Missing Link looks like it's maybe more like 50, 60%. And the, the and you know, the, it's just the thing is like, they've gotten so good mm-hmm. by now that it's almost looking like, almost looking too similar to CG. <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you mean, especially with what I've seen from the trailers uh, yeah. that they put out for it, but it'll be hard to say without more information about exactly what they're doing for the production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Coraline, it's yeah. good. What, what, do you, what would you say is like your thought on the movie today? My thought, you know, 10 years after it was released, um, I still enjoy it just as much as I did when I first, I first watched it. I think it's a great film um, that shows, like, how stop-motion animation was changing at that time, of, you know, back yeah. in 2009, and how people were experimenting with it. It was definitely a very ballsy, risk-taking uh family film to have for sure with all the scary imagery and um like right. having basically just like a, a a horror comedy that you could have for like say older kids or and to share with parents or on halloween for sure um i can't say it's my favorite film of all time though and i'm not entirely sure the reason why because i don't think you have to say that no about any movie I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that I am. It, it does unnerve me so much, and sometimes right. it because I those kind of films stick with me so well because of yeah. those that the disturbing imagery. It takes that a long time for that to leave my head. Like I said, the part of the climax that was really truly terrifying 
has not left me since 2009. That's 10 years of me occasionally just like, especially during the Halloween season where I'm just like, hmm, thinking about movies to watch. Oh, right. There was that Coraline movie and that was really scary as shit. You know, like that terrified me so much. I am not watching that alone in a dark room because I can't handle it. True, true. Hey, are you, we're not talking about um, the end credits having that thing that has now, now become like a Leica staple. Oh, God. Um, I'm actually forgetting about this. Hold, like, could you talk about that a bit more than I could? Uh, it's basically the thing where they have like a time lapse of uh, how it was animated. Oh, right. I'd completely forgotten because I don't think... I wanted to give I wanted to make sure I got other stuff ready before getting on the episode today. So I hadn't really hadn't didn't watch the show or didn't watch the um when I was watching it on Netflix. I didn't get to see all the way past the credits. But yeah, you're right, because I remember noticing that when um we watched Kubo, they did yeah, they showed you the stage yeah. and all yeah. the I think in Coraline it was um Oh god, they showed the uh uh, God, the the mice, right? Yes, yeah, I think it was the mice. Yeah, and it's incredible, and it's that kind of thing. I think is, I mean, that that's that's just genius doing that because mm-hmm. there are not many movies where it's actually important, kind of, for the audience to know how it was made. Yeah, so like like we've talked over this podcast a lot of things different people and different animation styles were used in order to make it so and that's something since this has become a habit for Leica to do with their films and I'm I have to say it's I'm impressed and I really hope that they continue doing it because like you said it's important for people to know how like okay this is a work of fiction this is something that we've made using all of these different models and uh sets and like this is to give you an idea of what it looked like filming this yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's great. It's such a good, uh, clever like marketing tool as well. Because I feel like that's the kind of thing that coming out of their movies you're gonna be talking about mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Good movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I really 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 like the production design. The production design for me is. Uh, probably my favorite thing about it, which sounds mm-hmm. like a weird thing. It's not a slight at all to say no. that to me because it's just, um, I can't think of many animated movies that look like this. No, no, absolutely not. Balls to be, like we were saying, you know, kind of set in a kind of, um, you know, uh, like different climate and setting to lots of not just on not just animated movies but movies Mm -hmm. where it's kind of overcast and that's kind of the deal and uh yeah i really really like that choice yeah it was i'm really glad i've had a chance to see it again and i will most likely make a more of a habit of watching it i just want to make sure that especially with my the friend that first suggested that I watch this movie, like I told her even before I got on the record today, it's like, oh, guess what? I'm doing a podcast on Carly. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she always likes to reference, like, the yeah. the bit that to- Coraline teases, because obviously YB was one of her favorite characters in the film, uh, since he yeah. was in the book. But she always makes the reference um, 
the name that the mean nickname that Coraline gives him um, when she learns about what his his full name is Wyborn, and she calls him Why were you born? Uh, I like, honestly, I I would have done that because I've never heard of anyone called Wyborn. <laughs> <laughs> is that a common name in America? I absolutely have no idea. I don't think right. I've ever encountered any person in my life who's had that name. Wyborn. Yeah, it's a weird. Um, it's a weird name. It is <laughs> right. It is as though he's like I. I feel he's perfectly within his rights to shorten it and change it to something else and try to roll with it. But yeah, like I'd almost very like. I remember when she texted me before I watched the film. Like she referenced, you know, the "Why were you born?" thing. And like, wait a minute, like what? <laughs> and then I watched the film and just like found that that was a nickname that Coraline gave him. And I'm like, that's really super mean. But that's mean in a in a preteen kid kind of way. Oh, apparently there's a school not far from me called Wyborn. Well, there you go. That told me. <laughs> but yeah, um, I definitely like enjoy taking a second look at this film after so long and yeah, yeah. just appreciating like what it stands for and what it meant for stop motion and Leica in general. Because I do, ever since that movie came out, I've really become a fan of Leica's work with, you know, Box Trolls, yeah. Kubo, Por- uh, Paranorman uh, quickly became one of my all-time favorites that um, of their films that came yeah. out after Coraline. And I will definitely always go back to that to, for Halloween. But I had, you know, yeah, even for films like, like that. A... Sorry, go ahead. No, I, it, like, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it does feel like a watershed kind of movie for Soul Potion. Yeah, and yeah, so the, I remember I liked int- going back and kind of getting more of that appreciation for it. So yeah, good good movie, and it's I hope more people will either discover it or rediscover it now that um, it's on Netflix. At least in the U.S., it's on Netflix for stream uh, free streaming. So if you have, you know, definitely if you know people who haven't seen it or you think would get a good kick out of it and enjoy it, you know, share it with people. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah if you, especially if they've seen other Leica films like Paranorman or Kubo and like those films, like, oh, you got to check out this one. This is where it all, this is where it all began. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's a pretty, pretty timeless film as well, actually. It's not actually aged, I don't think, in 10 years. The only thing that was like the clue to anything aging to me was it just being uh, uh, Caroline's mom having a flip phone. Right. Yeah, that's that's really but it. Like any, but yeah. <laughs> that, that's good. That's, that's good that when a film doesn't date itself too badly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for if you've stuck around with us for the end of this episode. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you would like to keep up to date with the Animation for Adults podcast or AFA podcast, um, we're always updating new episodes on our website as well as other news and reviews and uh, updates. Um, and I'm sure you have heard on the recording previous to this that the Gib- uh, G Kids is ongoing with their Ghibli, uh, Ghibli Fest this year once again and are currently advertising for Howl's Moving Castle. So definitely see if you can participate and see if you, if you can win those free tickets. Um, if you want to stay up to date through us on social media, because we're always putting our updates on there too, we are on Facebook, 
Twitter at AFA blog. We're also on Tumblr, Pinterest, and Instagram. I believe that's everything. Um, and as always, if you want to support this podcast and the website in general, um, we'll always leave a link to our Patreon page as well as our Ko-Fi page so you can uh, support the podcast. And especially if you want to suggest perhaps an uh, episode uh, topic that you'd like us to talk about, whether it's a movie, television show, web series, what have you, please send us an email at podcastanimationforadults.com if you'd like to make a suggestion. Uh, as far as each of us individually, uh, Dan, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Hamu. All right. And you can find me, as always, on Twitter at Fail2Ninja. Um, and also, one last shout out, as I always like to do at the end of these recordings, please continue to support the uh, Animation Nights New York program um, event that is, uh, or as we love to call it, Annie. The Annie, Annie uh, short film animation screenings that take place in New York that are curated by the lovely Yvonne and assisted by uh, Nina. They both do a great job. They're regulars on this podcast. And I've been there personally to the um, Best of Fest, the um, Annie Best of Fest event that they put on a few years back. And it was, it's a wonderful experience. So if you find yourself in the New York area or if you're planning a trip out there um, around the same time as their screenings, please definitely go and uh, give them their, your support. Um, these screenings are free. So you don't have to pay anything to go in and sit down and watch these really unique animated shorts that come from uh, submitted from all over the world. So I will leave a link to the Annie website in the show notes if you want to check that out. All right, we will be back next time with the AFA podcast for another episode. We'll keep the topic secret for now, but we hope you all have a good week and take care. I haven't really woken up. Oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Everybody needs just the right amount of fuel to get going in the morning. For some, a nice McDonald's egg and cheese bagel is just enough to do it. Others might prefer a McDonald's bacon egg and cheese bagel. Or perhaps a sausage egg and cheese bagel. And there are those where nothing will do but a hearty McDonald's steak egg and cheese bagel. Four different breakfast bagels to get you going. Tomorrow morning, give your engine a head start at participating McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.